Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. We like that. All in one place for totally free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your cellular telephone or your computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else, those other places that podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify, and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&As and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions, and best of all, it's totally free zero catch we've been using it ever since we started how long gone and ever since i discovered spotify for podcasters i feel like having the option of turning off the q a's and the polls on the user dashboard <laughs> has really helped uh, boost my creativity and take it to another level i highly recommend giving it a try download the spotify for podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started All right, what's up, TJ? Live from New York City. It's how long gone? How you feeling? Greatest city in the world, bro. This town is awesome. I'm really starting to love it. Walked around this morning. I'm I, I'm no longer at the Nolition Hotel. The glow up is real. I'm now reporting live from Ian Schrager's public hotel. Want to give a shout out to <laughs> Ian. It's pretty cool that he personally, you know, entered the reservation for you on his laptop. That's like it's a little above and beyond, but that's the treatment that How Long Gone gets these days. Things things have changed for us. But Jason, did you did you have a classic New York? Did you have a everything bagel with with some cream cheese and just a bodega coffee, or, or what? What are we looking at? No, 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 not yet. I'm I'm just been drinking water. Uh, I, I had some coffee. Might have a banana later. We'll see what happens, but. I don't know. I feel like I'm a little bit on holiday. It's, I feel guilty being here alone without Bay. Because you're in a real hotel instead of these dumps we've stayed in in flyover cities? That's right. That's right. I didn't want to say it, but you know what? I did, and and I don't regret it one bit. Uh, no, it's beautiful. I mean, the weather is fucking insane, too. It's like perfect outside. It's an amazing, amazing day to spend uh, in my hotel room editing audio and fulfilling shipping orders all day long. Well, Jason... I I knew you were going to find a way to complain about it, but at least <laughs> the public, your your cell at the public does have windows, correct? <laughs> My living pod has floor to ceiling <laughs> windows. That's nice. So you can see all the hotties walk by outside as you drink your Mountain Valley and cut up your little audio. So I don't, I'm not going to listen to these complaints. It's actually our little audio. And I do have a beautiful view of the buildings that are behind the public hotel. You mean, you mean Soho? I just mean someone's backyard. I see. I see. So you're not. And it's less of I can see them, and it's more of they can see me. <laughs> so T. So they're watching. They're seeing TJ air dry after his after his shower. Is what you're telling me. That's right. That's right. That's right. Nice, bro. Nice. Well, that's a freebie. The only time I put clothes on is when I right before, like moments before I leave the house. Yeah. No. I knew, otherwise, I knew that about. Otherwise, you. they're getting a show over here in Soho. They're getting a, a show ho. Um, well, it's no, it's been, it's been great to be back. I saw my New York trainer, Mike Bell this morning. So my quads are on fire mm-hmm. as always, which is my favorite thing to do. I'm dropping your suit off at the dry cleaners, uh, for you tomorrow because I love, uh, running errands for you because you do so much for me. What do you mean tomorrow? I mean today. 
after we finish. Okay. No, it, Jason, I don't know if you you. I guess because you wear such cheap clothing, you don't really understand how dry cleaners work. Mm-hmm. But the way they work is usually in in Manhattan, at least they can get it back to you the next day. Oh wow, it's pretty cool, right? And they don't use water to clean it. No, it's it's steam. Well, you know, Jason, as a person who comes, I come from a dry cleaning dynasty. Actually, I don't know if you knew this about me. I didn't know your that was the family biz, but yeah, yeah, I I am Korean actually. Uh, no, the um my <laughs> my my dad's dad was a a dry clean dry cleaning establishment owner, and then separately, I my first job in high school was at a dry cleaner. Oh wow! So this is you sunning me. For working at a dry cleaner, very impressive. I can I can sun you for literally anything. Don't test me. Uh, so, but <laughs> okay. But the okay. key the key to good dry cleaning, and this is something you should look for, is if it's this is a Chris Black pro tip, free podcast this, guys. This is a crow, yeah. This isn't behind a paywall. Sometimes I can't believe it. It's crazy. So what you're going to want to do is look for a dry cleaner that does all the cleaning on premises. Mm. Because if they if they take it if they don't have the machines if they're broke boy dry cleaners then. There, it's going to add a transit time, and it's probably not going to be done as quickly. In my in my experience, yeah, okay. So you're going to want to go look look for on premises and this new eco dry cleaner thing. I don't trust it. I want chemicals to clean my shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. There's certain things, certain battles that you have to choose, and with with certain products, you know, the eco just ain't there yet, guys. It's and dry cleaning seems to be one of them. The only reason why the magic and illusion of literally dry cleaning Mm -hmm. i would say it's chemical dependent it's not really uh much option much like me in 2012 (laughs) it's chemical dependent (laughs) (laughs) my chemically dependent co-host yeah that's chris black my my chemically dependent romance we're here Mm -hmm. some people are addicted to clean trousers Mm -hmm. through chemicals and some people are addicted to constipation and loss of (laughs) friends and family Due to their chemical oh, chemical dependency. I love I love podcasting with you, Jason. So we're back in New York. It's a beautiful day. We're, we have our Woolrich uh, party tonight at the store in Soho. I'm looking forward to, to that with some mm-hmm. natural wine from Peoples and Kevin Lombardo on the fucking ones and twos, Jason. I'm looking forward to it. I'm If I can finish up all my work, I might be able to make it. For everyone who showed up in Austin... For our show a couple days ago, thank you for coming out. It was a really fun I, I show. Gotta appreciate, I got to say, I, pre- I pre- Philadelphia and Austin, Good biggest surprises so far of the tour. Boston maintains its status as worst city in America. <laughs> Philadelphia and Austin have moved up the list as places I would go again if I was being paid. Because you used to be a little bit of an Austin hater. I found Austin to be, I think it was because 310 ACL Live was so fucking nice. Yeah, the, our green room in the venue was nicer than our hotel room by a yeah. by a country mile. And our new friend Brendan took care of us. You know what I mean? He took us to the spots. Like you know, he had a cool old car. I felt like I was getting a locals only experience. Yeah, we had we had a Anthony Bourdain style fixer. Yeah, we yeah we had an Anthony Bourdain style fixer who, thank God for us, also owns a Contax G2 with an on body flash. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we were able to not only capture the content that we need, but make a new friend and enjoy some tacos. I enjoyed eating some tacos, but also it was nice spending time with somebody who likes to drink as much as I do, so I didn't feel alone mm-hmm. when I imbibed in my personal brand of chemicals. Yeah, no, you yeah, but Jason was editing the podcast until just minutes before we touched the stage and I 
did something I haven't done in a very long time and prepared a cocktail. Yeah, Chris was like, he was feeling a little, maybe, were you feeling a little bad for me? What, <laughs> no, needed, bitch, no. I just, you needed to, no, no you weren't no, feeling I was bad for feel- me. Was it, a, was it a idle hands? You're sitting nope, there. Nope, 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 nope. It was feeling bad for myself. You ran out of stuff to scroll on Instagram in the green room all alone. Lomelda was all set talking to you. So yeah, like, you're like, yeah. all right, nobody's, let me make a cocktail. I'll mix a cocktail for my imaginary friend who is going to be here sometime. No, no, no. That's not why I did it. I did it because if you're not drunk, you're not funny. So I wanted to make sure that our show was going to be good because they were paying customers out there. So I did, I was able to, to take a plastic cup, put some ice in it and then fill it, you know, Back in my day, uh, we we our 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 home mixed cocktails were half and half. Speak on it, speak on it, Elder. Chris. Half and half. So I put ha- I filled up half that cuff with some eight eight one eight blanco, <laughs> and then added added some uh, some sample. I thought it was a blanco. I didn't want to say anything, yeah, but yeah. it did. Yeah, it I wasn't the color. Tasting. It wasn't the color. It was the flavor of the agave. Uh, and then I. Uh, I I added you know the San Pellegrino and then and then a nice generous squeeze of lime. It was it reminded me of my days working for the Hornitos Tequila Company. We don't talk about them anymore. But yeah, you I gotta say for a sober girl swag, you did a good job mixing a cocktail. It was an honest to goodness, respectable. Thank you, thank you. Kendall would have been proud. Kendall would have been proud. But then also then on stage, Jason was just he had a he had a flask style bottle of madre mezcal that he kept in his uh his boot his lucchese's uh <laughs> and pulled it out on stage uh, and was kind of nipping from it like it was a cold night on the bayou well that's a problem well, yeah when you're when you're traveling via airplane you know you can't bring you can't bring that shit on there unless you check it and then if you check a bag with a bottle of alcohol that's just, you know i've been burnt by that burnt by that one before so you know, you kind of, I only had one shot to enjoy that mezcal, which I received as a nice gift from Brendan. So that was the only chance I had to drink it. And boy, did I. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And yeah, Austin was great. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed it. And um, the weather, again, the weather was beautiful. We enjoyed some of the, we found out, Brendan told us that people in Austin have a little problem besides worshiping Matthew McConaughey like he's Jesus Christ. But they also, mm-hmm. they seem to think that rivers are lakes. <laughs> and I, I don't, I'm not totally clear. I mean, I'm pretty, you know, I didn't grow up in a, in a seaside town that they forgot to tear down, but I, um, God. is that a killer killer's lyric? That's the Smiths loser. Uh, but I, um, I, the, the killers only talk about highways and train tracks. Let's not get this. My bad. My yeah. bad. My bad. Springsteen style. Stephen Morrissey handles the, uh, the bodies of water. Yeah. Cause stuff like that. Cause England's really known for that, you know, on the river Thames. I don't know that I, I, I thought the difference between rivers and lakes was pretty clear but maybe maybe it's not or maybe texans um aren't crystal clear aren't that bright i don't know no no no. what i think i think it's a little bit of that you know when when we're in la and there's the there's kind of the the los feliz los feliz there's the houston street houston street there's just like these things that just kind of get burnt into our lingo and even if we know they're wrong like i know that that's a lake not a river or vice sure. versa, but that's just what we do. That's just what we call them, and that's just what it is. And you're kind of a pussy if you don't call a river a lake in Austin. It's kind of the vibe that I felt. That's that's something I learned too. But yeah, it was a great it was a great time. The, the how long on Texas swing was successful. Yeah. We're getting pumped up for our, our New York show. Uh, we've confirmed some very special guests. Jason, should we talk about those guests? We should. And also, just to let you know, Nashville's back on. Just kidding, it's not back. <laughs> <laughs> no, we confirmed. Instead of going to Nashville, we decided to come to New York and and confirm special guests. So we are being joined by the elusive Ion Pack, uh, the hilarious Lawrence Servideo, 
and uh, editor-in-chief of Interview Magazine, the new issue with Miley Cyrus just dropped, legendary stylist and uh, a fellow double denim wearer, Mel Ottenberg, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, joining us joining us live on stage at the Bowery Ballroom on Saturday night. Tickets are available on StubHub.com. Uh, somehow, they're still going for uh, regular price. Face value. You get me, Jason, Mel, Lauren, two anonymous guys with a podcast and rebounder for the low, low price of $25 plus fees. All the merch will be available. We shipped it to our friends at Jag Jaguar, and they're holding it for us in in Brooklyn. Oh, it's in Brooklyn. I know it's it's not the best. That's the only problem with our labels. They do have an office in Brooklyn. I'd rather go to the office in Bloomington, to be honest. <laughs> but so so yeah. So we're looking forward to this weekend, and then um, and then you know we 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 fly back uh first thing Sunday morning, and I'm not looking forward to that. But we we have a guest today, Jason. We we'd be we we have to talk about him. We have to talk about our guests. Yeah, Khalifa. We got we got our man Khalifa. Khalifa Sine. Uh, you probably know him as New York New Yorker staff writer. Uh, he was formerly the pop music critic at the New York Times. Uh, he contributes to one of my favorite programs, CBS Sunday Morning. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's not a joke. They have great musical performances. They have great. They really do. They really do. But his new book uh, is super interesting. Major labels: A history of popular music in seven genres: rock, R and B, country, punk, hip hop, dance, and pop. It kind of breaks breaks down genres, what they all mean, how they separate us as a society. Uh, but the the coolest part about Khalifa is that he's a fucking punk rocker, bro. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to ask him what his favorite Operation Ivy B side is, mm-hmm. and if mm-hmm. if he and Travis Barker have ever talked about DRI before. I'm not positive, but I have a slight feeling that his his punk rock background doesn't really cover those exact bands i don't know uh, i think he might be more of the class you know sex pistols ramones the legendary stuff and maybe less of the blink 182s and we're gonna find out and no, you know he, he also mentions in his book that you know he was listening to progressive house versus deep house when he works so you can there's even some yeah, stuff that's th- kind of what I, I i i mean i want to cover the country stuff of course and then <laughs> obviously the electronic stuff as well i mean even if he's i mean just to to know that there is a staff writer who's been at the New Yorker longer than I've known what the New Yorker is, <laughs> who knows what, who even knows the phrase progressive house is enough to get my little ding dong tickling. It's a victory for the EDM community that he even knows what it is. And he's in a position of power. Cause I know that you're not confident enough to speak on the, no. the genre of progressive house. I, no, I'm not. I, I, in fact, or, or progressive anything to be honest, but especially oh, the, okay. The okay. Well, this podcast is over. Uh, let's give, <laughs> uh, let's give Khalifa a jingle and hear about his new book and his love for, uh, Fugazi. How long gone is brought to you by our dear friends at BetterHelp, Jason. BetterHelp, you know, the summer travel season is coming up. Luckily, my BetterHelp therapist also fancies themselves a bit of a travel agent. So for maybe the first half of our sweet sessions, we were spent off, obviously off clock going through, you know, hotels, ferries, <laughs> car rentals, restaurant recommendations. It's as if I have two wives. I have two wives inside of me, and uh, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, so uh, it, it is a fun way to find and connect different therapists. You get one that you really like. You guys are gossiping. You guys are chit chatting. You guys are talking about your personal interests. Next thing you know, it's time to actually do the work. So it feels good building those uh, mental health relationships with people you actually like. And on BetterHelp, there are 
so many different therapists to choose from. I don't like anyone. If you're thinking of starting <laughs> therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash how long today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash how long. Nice. How Long Gone is brought to you by Nutrafol. As you know, you know, hair thinning is quite complicated. Like your skin, hair is a reflection of your health. Uh-oh. And internal factors can impact the way your hair looks, feels, and most importantly, grows. Nutrafol's whole body approach multi-targets underlying root causes like stress, hormone fluctuations, and nutrient gaps for visibly thicker, stronger hair. Go ahead, give it a tug. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth suppy with over 1 million people seeking thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with considerably less shedding. Thank God. Take the first step <laughs> to visibly thicker, healthier hair for a limited time. Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code how long? All one word. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists and professional stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L. I got Raf on the nut. <laughs> Dot com promo code how long. That's Nutrafol.com promo code how long. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Say goodbye to swiping left on lackluster meals and swipe right for the one brand that will make your taste buds swoon. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef design recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, I like to chop myself, or quick microwave meals that are assembled in minutes, Home Chef has you and your entire family covered for delicious meals, witty options per week, and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. I'm keto now. Not only is it convenient, but it is also economical. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Mamma mia. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering my listeners, our listeners, 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert faux life at homechef.com slash how long that's homechef.com slash how long for 18 free meals and free dessert for life homechef.com slash how long must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert jason i want to talk to you today about timberland green stride timberland green strides that's a it's a brand new series of boots from the good people over at timberland and, and these are not your grandmother's beef and broccolis this is some new technology what's going on with them chris bro the soles are made from 75 percent renewable sugar cane and natural rubber i know you already know this but it combines eco consciousness and comfort which is two things that i'm pretty uh bullish on uh, yeah you're bullish on eco i'm bullish on eco but timberland greenstad uses eco conscious materials to create styles that are both rugged and lightweight but jason let's not forget durable 
You know, you can you can really wear these motherfuckers. You know what I mean? Seventy five percent renewable sugar cane. I didn't even know you can make shoes out of that. That is that is very sick. I didn't know that either. I learn something new every day. The Green Strides Collection. It's part of Timberland's commitment to making more sustainable products and a greener world, with the goal of having a net positive impact on the environment. By 2030, that's less than 10 years. Yeah, if we start now, we're going to make it. Shop the men's and women's Timberland Green Strike collection on Timberland.com. Cop your 75% renewable sugar cane, natural rubber, sole, green stride, Timberlands, and stunt on everyone. I think I will. Things are very taupe over there, Jason. What's up? (laughs) You know how I I be. (laughs) Cocky, taupe, tame. (laughs) Off-white is not off enough for me. I'm in my apartment in New York City. Jason's at the at the public hotel because we have a show at Bowery Ballroom on Saturday. So we we happen oh. we, we happen to be in New York right now. So it worked out that we doing big things. Uh big big ish. You know, we were actually uh we we recorded with Parquet medium sized things. We yeah we recorded with Parquet Courts, and I was trying to oh cool trying to flex on our sold out Bowery Ballroom show. And there oh that, like that's cute. We do like three nights at Brooklyn Steel. So maybe one day you can you can get there. But did you did you reserve the balconies, those little seats, the overhang by the side of the stage? Is that for VIPs? What's the story? I, you know, somebody asked me that last night. Spoken like a VIP. I don't know, but you sound like a guy who's been in a VIP situation many times, and and I've that- been on the inside and the outside of that VIP situation, <laughs> yes, yeah, depending yeah. on the show. Like most VIP situations, I've been in both positions as well. Yeah. What's up, bro? So we were just we were just doing some small talk, chatting. Yeah, we were here in LA. I mean, in New York. I'm recording from a very taupe room here at the beautiful public. Coast hotel chris is in his little i don't know his situation room what do you call that chris it's actually called the bedroom uh because alex is having calls in the other room so i've been relegated to the to the bed where i do my best podcasting and before i jumped on were you guys doing some housekeeping i feel like podcasters are always talking about doing housekeeping Mm-hmm. <laughs> little housekeeping yeah it's, let's it's time to pay some bills actually it's a good the good place to pause Cliff. we'll be back in 15 i have a i have a lady that does that for me every two weeks so oh, i'm, I'm yeah. usually pretty good so I, <laughs> she does the podcast ha- housekeeping. yeah yeah we, we, yeah, we do a little housekeeping we'll do you know we'll talk about some some things going on we do a 15 minute intro this is jason and i before we bring on our guests chris wanted to wait until you got on to let to wish Doja Cat a happy birthday. I'm sure I'm sure this is a big deal. Is that today? I didn't know. That is today. I should have put it in my phone. That is today. I'm surprised your phone didn't show you that in your Apple calendar, but yeah, but maybe you're a Samsung guy, I don't know. Uh, but the yeah, it's her birthday today. I just wanted to, you know, wish her a happy birthday. That's huge. I guess that's what we're gonna be talking about. Yeah, mostly Doja Cat. I understand that you write or something like that, or you have a you did like a bunch of writing for a book, but this is mostly a Doja Cat podcast, and I think your people should have told you that. Sure, I, I believe Doja Cat is in the book. So oh, really? Maybe it all maybe it all fits together. If I can't remember, it's possible. Maybe we can ask the author. Yeah, we. Can. She'll be in the next book. I was looking, so I was reading the the book last night because uh, I just got in. It was waiting for me. Thanks to our friends at at Penguin Press for sending that over. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you quickly, and you know, not to bore you, but the 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 stock of the paper is very inter- it's an interesting choice it's almost it's thin it's almost like a bible is that what you were trying yeah. to mimic well it's, it's a fake out right like you pick it up and you're like oh this book isn't that long and then you look at the thing you're like 
This goddamn thing is 500 pages long, <laughs> but then hopefully when you read it, it's like a second fake out, and then it doesn't feel doesn't feel like 500 pages. Okay. That's the goal of any book that's 500 pages that doesn't feel. Yeah. This feels disorienting. I feel like if I picked it up and read it, and I would have some type of my my bearings hopefully would be. You're off. not worried about that because you know you're reading about the guy from Def Leppard wearing a wearing what looks like a bathrobe on stage at the Video Music Awards, and you're just like you're in the zone. Yeah, you're not you're not doing the page count. Okay, that's good. No, we don't do, but I I like the idea of because i you know I, I think that famously a lot of people would roll joints with bible pages you know what i mean so i think maybe there's <laughs> oh, chris you know there's going to be some guys that hopefully jason you know your I mom listens to this, this podcast right chris <laughs> once i let jason borrow this and he finishes it you know take a page out of the introduction and put some maui wowie in there yeah well it's good to tear out every page as you go anyway so oh, that way there's no looking back and it's just ever forward and onwards <laughs> i mean that's how i read i'm not a pussy yeah. that's right <laughs> that's that, that's a really funny way to read. Yeah, I'm gonna. That's very dramatic. It feels. Let bygones be bygones, man. I rip the page out like I'm writing uh, something on an old timey typewriter, and every time I finish the page, that's right. Bing, throw it. That's right. So you couldn't afford to print it on the bigger, thicker paper. Is that where we're going? <laughs> you know, it's somehow. Somehow the UK publisher did use a slightly thicker stock, so I have the Respect. UK version here, Respect. which is which is a, a fatter boy than the than the US version. <laughs> a bit thicker, yeah. Is this published? Is this published in all languages, or what? What do we got so far? Uh, so far, so far, just English. But there are some there's there's some other languages coming. I think uh, I think Estonian might have been the first translation to sell, mm-hmm. but I believe those guys we love Def Leppard, Chinese and Japanese and Russian and some other things. People. People all want to know about Def Leppard and the bathrobe all over the world. So and you and you exciting. did you did turn down the Hebrew translation, right? <laughs> I've, I've not got it, gotten any offers yet. I'm hoping after this show I get inundated. Yeah, actually, I think it'd be in- interesting for you to because Jason can't read very well. It's an ongoing theme on this podcast. You've already hit upon the main differences between me and Sally Rooney. No offer for Hebrew publishing. No bucket hats. I'm just like off on my own thing. You did you did fuck up on that because because the cover of your book is already yellow, which is yeah. a great bucket hat color. Bucket hat color, it should happen. So you're an author who doesn't make bucket hats? This seems like a misstep. <laughs> it's it's old fashioned. <laughs> it's old fashioned. I was wondering, I, I think it'd be interesting for people to understand, you know, how these translations actually work. Like it's not each one is negotiated separately, correct? Like once the book is published. Yes, yes. And there's or or before, but there's people out there you know, working with my agent, working to see if anyone might want to read this in a different language. Mm-hmm. And you have to work with the the consulate in each country and everything. It's a whole. Of course, it's very yeah. You get you actually get knighted when you get translated <laughs> into a, a different language, the country, and you show up. And then That's a perk. the hard part is then I have to learn those languages to read the translation and make uh, sure that it's absolutely accurate. It's a huge yeah, process. That that is that is obnoxious. Yeah, it sounded exciting to me, but now it's kind of starting to feel like homework. This is I'm I'm going to be an Estonian citizen by the time this. Let's is finished. go. What did you What did you uh what did you read your own audiobook i did read someone told me and like i no one's ever heard of this so maybe i was lied to someone told me that if you read it if you write a non-fiction book it's really pretentious not to read it yourself and that if you write fiction it's really pretentious to read it mm-hmm. yourself and but like i don't know but that's what i was going with so i was like yeah of course i'll read it and so I did read the audiobook myself. It turns out I don't know how to pronounce anything. Every like two or three minutes, the, the engineer would like click through and be like, uh, I don't think that's how that's said. Nah, but it's, fu- it's funny, the reverse of the nonfiction versus fiction. Well, the, the good part was that he put me up on this site, Uglish. Are you familiar with Uglish? No. Sounds Estonian. It's Go a, on. It's, 
It's a it's a site, I guess, for people learning English. You can type in any word and it'll crawl through closed captioning and bring you up a bunch of videos queued up to the right place of people saying that word. Whoa. I should have done that with your name before we recorded this episode. I just went to CBS <laughs> this morning and watched a YouTube video. <laughs> Did it work? Watch Jane Polly saying it. I want, yeah, Jane Polly is my north star for pronunciation because I, I don't like to <laughs> get exactly that. Right. I don't. I don't like to get that wrong. But dude, it's a game of telephone, right? Like my dad was from Gambia in West Africa, so he said it like with the full Gambian thing, and then like I learned it from him. You know, my wife has my name now. My kids have my name. They're going to say it a little differently, mm-hmm. so it's not entirely up to me. But yes, I have a way I say it. How but, how would your dad pronounce it if you don't mind? He, he would give it some of that some of that West African funk. I mm-hmm. think. I think. It would be more of like a Lamensane. His name was Lamin. And Kelefasane. Like he'd give you some of that. Kelefasane. Okay. Yeah. It's like it's like one word when he says it. And it's got a Kelefasane. lot of Yeah, it kind of rolls off. Yes. Very he, he cool. He named me after a famous figure from the the oral literature of the Mandinka people. So yeah, it's like a it's a whole thing. Damn. My parents my parents named me after a guy from the Bible, I think. I don't know. Jason, <laughs> I don't know where your mom got Jason from, but Jesus Chris? Yeah, yeah, Jesus Chris is what they call me. That's what the fans call me of this podcast. Uh, that's it's, Jesus it's, Chris. It's it's nice. Yeah, but I, I did Jesus comma Chris. Yeah, I'm not a Jesus Chris. I'm a Jesus Chris. <laughs> no, no, no. This guy does like music. Yeah, you love music. We I watched this. I watched this clip of you talking to your boy that you grew up with about punk, and I, yeah. I got to say, yeah. and I, I got a little bit of that from the intro in the book. You know, I, Jason and I have both have punk and hardcore backgrounds. Um, yes. so I was excited because there's some pictures of you in that, in that clip where you looked very cool a- as a young guy. And I believe, yeah, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, the, you're the first person I've ever met who has described young me as looking cool. I was wearing, let's see, I might've been wearing, it might've been too much joy, the college rock band or, or like fire hose, fire hose. I think it was fire hose. fire hose and you had like the short dreads and shit. It was very, yeah, cool. that's what everyone was doing. Cause when I was a little kid, I had a flat top. I was into hip hop. Mm-hmm. It was the eighties, right? Run DMC, beastie boys. I had those cassettes. So when I got into punk, I was like, Oh, I better, I better make myself look weird somehow. Sure. So I kind of like took my little flat top and, and kind of braided it or dreaded it. And just, I, you know. I wanted to I wanted to signal to people that I was not a normal guy. I think this is very this is something we've talked about on the show a lot because I think when Jason and I are, are probably just a little bit younger than you uh or we just don't have kids, I don't know. And um the you know, in our era it was a little bit like you like hardcore and you like punk and that's kind of all you're allowed to like. That was the whole point to me. The whole thing that made it seductive was like you know, you went through the portal and then you were just inside, man. And you're like, no, I'm not listening to the Rolling Stones. And like, you know, obviously part of what made that fun is that you're in this world exploring. But to me, um, I wouldn't have used this term at the time. To me, it was kind of like a critical thinking too. Yeah. Thing. Like the idea of like, oh, you're allowed to have opinions about music. Like you can reject other people's music. And like you can even convince yourself that this stuff really matters, right? That like all this other yeah, music yeah, yeah, is yeah. bad. Not just like bad, like yeah. mediocre bad, but like morally bad mm-hmm. yes like this, yeah like it's wrong yeah no you're absolutely right that's really seductive and that, that's really that's really exciting and you know i kind of went through i went through that rabbit hole down that rabbit hole and then kind of kept going down rabbit holes right were like you in it, new york were you in new york i was in suburban connecticut my dad my parents were both teaching at yale 
and I was living in suburban Connecticut. I was going to New York like to buy records and to Boston to buy records. But suburban but Connecticut has a rich hardcore history. Connecticut you know? hardcore man, yeah. youth of today, absolutely. Yeah. Rich Connecticut, rich history. Moby, let's not forget Moby. Moby, the Vatican Commandos, absolutely. <laughs> Do not let's not forget Moby. <laughs> don't, I, don't sleep on Moby. Did your parents were your parents like what is this like white boy shit you're into or were they supportive of this? Well, no, I don't think they would have put it in uh circa 2021 racial <laughs> appropriate terms your mom didn't ask but in 1979 what this white boy shit is <laughs> i think she's probably still never used that phrase no my so my parents that's why she teaches at yale and i'm a podcaster that's oh well, i the, guess that, i guess their response might depend on what they were teaching at yale at the time well yeah so my dad from, was from from gambia and taught history of religion mm. uh, my mother is white was from south africa and taught yale students how to speak zulu Whoa. so the idea of like crossing the cultural lines was something she was she was comfortable with yes obviously yeah so yes there was no particular expectation that like yo you're supposed to be listening to nwa or whatever sure 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 i just think that (laughs) i i find i find looking back on hardcore and punk you know it was very progressive in a lot of ways and i was in atlanta um in in this phase of my life it was very progressive in a lot of ways like i think we were talking about things that i would have not talked about uh, otherwise, at a young age, which I think is pretty valuable. The importance of respecting women, yeah, you know, eating a vegetarian or vegan diet, you know, things like all that. the important stuff. But then you look, you look back at it, and it's like, what were we so mad about? We're just all like, you know, middle class to upper middle class guys with no problems. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. My only problem was yeah. that I was a little overweight. You know, that was my only problem. So I don't, I don't. There, there aren't a lot of good hardcore songs about that. No. <laughs> 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 no, that's because that's because all the guys in bands were hot. That's the problem. Youth of today, those guys are ripped, bro. They look like a lacrosse team. Yeah, and the guys from Poison Idea didn't seem too worried about like body. And <laughs> no, no, they were just ripping. He was a big fella. He was a very big fella. <laughs> that's a good point. Pig, pig champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big but guy. I, but I think that that is something that's like I, I don't know. I think that's the that's the criticism I hear most about that scene. Is what? What are you suburbanites so pissed off about? Yeah, like what are you? What are you guys with absolutely no problems so angry about? And I'm like, well, I think that's just age. I think that's just like youth, right? Well, the idea that you're supposed to be angry about something in particular is like a second wave yeah. punk thing, right? Like the original punk wave was like nihilistic and it was like Nazi imagery and it was like, you know, it's not like, you know, even in New York, it's not like the Ramones were like, quote unquote, angry about a particular thing and they were mm. crying out about injustice. They were like, uh, we're bored. Like what's going on? And, you know, the Sex Pistols come out and it's kind of like it's almost sort of an art project or a media stunt, mm-hmm. right? And it's not – and it, the funny thing is like the Sex Pistols are singing like Anarchy in the UK and it's like the next generation of bands that like try to take that seriously mm-hmm. and say like, actually, we are anarchists and we have a critique <laughs> of the state. Like, <laughs> Yeah. When anarchy stop being so fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you're crass, you're like it's a serious philosophy. The initial form of anarchy seems like a pretty fun thing to do. You're just like <laughs> – Right. Dick out, fuck it, whatever. I'm stealing shit. I'm punching people. And then hardcore in the U.S. is kind of a critique of punk nihilism. Um, I think of hardcore in America as like anti-anti-social. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is that like if the punk bands are just like, well, fuck everything, the hardcore bands are like, well, yes, like fuck everything. But also we're going to concentrate on our own little world mm-hmm. and we're going to sing songs about the scene and about like violence at shows and not drinking. And there's someone in the community who did something fucked up and they're not my friend anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. So like that exactly. shrinking of the world mm-hmm. no, exactly. was was another way to respond to that. And 
and it's so punk has meant many things and and often it hasn't meant being like having a p- political grudge about something sometimes it's meant that but but not always sometimes it's just fun <laughs> i'm well i'm i'm, I'm pissed now because i'm looking at the cover of your book and you know there's all these genres listed and, and punk is not listed so i don't know if that punk was is a, listed come on man oh i'm sorry that's the, that's i'm sorry third, that's the middle genre that's the hinge oh, I, I i i'm sorry i i i can't read very well either um but i unbelievable these these are the big decisions i had to make as a book author right was was metal gonna get its own chapter or should metal be just part of the rock and roll chapter that is tough i gotta be honest with you metal might be my least favorite genre genre of music really i gotta i gotta be i gotta be honest i just i love that i never liked it even even when i was younger and people were like bro have you heard you know uh, even metallica i'm all set i just always found it a little bit corny me too me too because it's more it's more theatrical it's more performative i just i don't know and and even the the like really heavy shit i don't know i just it's it's not for me it's not musical enough i think that's part of my issue with it. i wonder what part of your dna is turned off by Sick ass shredding metal because I'm a big fan of metal myself. I don't like guitar solos. I think guitar solos are corny, like as a construct. I think they can be tastefully done, but I think overall it's it's unnecessary. You seem to like it when fucking John Mayer does it. What's the deal, Chris? <laughs> He's got some tasty licks though. No, I, <laughs> he. But I mean, I'm saying you listen to a lot of music that has. You know, by definition, a guitar solo in it. You just don't like it when somebody has to hit a pedal that says metal metal distortion <laughs> volume three you know and then does the sick ass solo no as much as as much as i love john Mayer, it's more for his melodies and choruses than it is for his guitar work even though his acceptance in popular culture is partly due to his looks and then men accept him because he can shred mm-hmm. i think is, is is part of his his appeal to people i thought men accepted him because of his denim collection <laughs> that's also i think that also plays a part in i also think his his collection of uh ex-girlfriends also makes him an a a a popular figure among men you know his range is pretty strong i say he can he can do it all he can do it he, yeah he can and he has done it all i think there's maybe even not rihanna <laughs> good point yeah good point but i do think that people are always like you like john Mayer's music i'm like yeah have you fucking listened to it like there's some classics in there it's not like you could say the same thing about metallica bitch i agree no i think metallica has classics i just don't want to ever put metallica on in the truck sure because it's it's not listenable to me it's too intimidating to passersby also, right? That, that's what that's the is, whole yeah. point of playing music in your car, guys. Don't you know anything? <laughs> Do you want, you want t- somebody to drive by and be like, that guy is fucking badass. <laughs> but this is related to that punk thing where, where like part of the fun of loving music is like disliking something else, right? Like yeah. part of the fun of being in it is like, yeah, I'm into this. Like I'm not into metal or, or whatever. And those distinctions, I write a little bit in the book about music snobbery. And the fact is like, that's a really hard term to define. Like there's no way to say you like something and you don't like something else. And to be sure that that's not a snobbish opinion, whatever mm-hmm. that means, right? Like snobbery is like part of fandom. And so, yeah. So the reason I wanted to write about all these genres was to explore like, not like, Oh, it's not, it's not a, records you have to hear before you die. I'm not necessarily trying to convince you like you got to go out and get reek of putrefaction by carcass and you're going to love it. Like probably it's fine oh, and you shit. won't, <laughs> but just to see like, how does this thing evolve? And like, why are people into this? And like, what's the appeal of this? And how do they think about music? Like, what are they, what are they hearing? To me, the most fun part of music is like the voyeuristic part where you can just like enter into someone's skull for a little while and see what the world looks like from their perspective. Mm-hmm. What's Adele thinking about right now? 
I think Adele's. I think Adele's thinking about. She put out an album track as a first single, and I call that a mistake in this business. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Carcass would never do that. No, Carcass (laughs) hits only. Carcass (laughs) only wouldn't make that mistake. (laughs) I, I, I love Adele. Like I really love Adele. I think she's like really important. I listen to it all the time. I think that song is very mid, and Mm -hmm. I think that that is a strategy. Like I think that's. Haven't listened to it. I think that's probably a strategy. I think the chorus is interesting, but overall, it's not a great song. But I think that that's historically what a lot of people do. You know, you, the third single is really the smash, you know, and that you you build up to that. Well, and now there's this thing that you see, I guess, more in hip hop where you just like throw a bunch of tracks on streaming and see which one people like. And then, and then you're like, oh, that's the single. The NBA young boy approach. Let's put out 100 songs and you guys pick. Right. Yeah. He's also he's, uh, I believe, incarcerated. So that limits some of the promo that he can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't I, apparently from what I've read about him, he don't need promo. That's that's my understanding. There's a part of me that's always worried, like as a rap fan, that like it's getting um, it's getting so acceptable. Right. It's like we got Hamilton and there's Pulitzer Prizes going to Kendrick Lamar and like <laughs> they're at the White House and like everyone <laughs> loves rap. And then you see NBA Youngboy and you're like. Nope, this yeah. is still like – and that's what's wild about rap, right? It's been going for almost 50 years, but it's still like so undigested. Like these people come out and they're definitely rappers and they're definitely like not fit for the mainstream for a bunch of reasons, good and bad. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing to me. That's like what what's prevented hip-hop from – becoming like digested and i don't think anyone thought it would last that long right like the first number one hip-hop hit is rapture by blondie and everyone's like oh maybe this is like a novelty thing and that's what's going to happen and it seemed obvious right maybe it'll be like what happened with rock and roll only quicker and so the stubbornness of hip-hop to be like stubbornly itself and stubbornly offensive and stubbornly like not fit for prime time is something that's really interesting and really powerful about it i'm a big fan of stubbornness in general right like Mm -hmm. even the idea of like sticking to a genre like that kind of stubbornness the genre of metal does the same thing i would i would argue absolutely and and, and sometimes you know some of these genres do it like metal by like waving the flag like we're going to be super metal and and you know there's genres that do that without waving the flag quite so much some of those metal bands wave the wrong flag though don't they depending on what parts of the world you're in wrongness can be something else that we uh, that we appreciate in music like a okay yeah like like when pantera would do a confederate flag t-shirt or something like that <laughs> absolutely like but that goes back to like sabbath right yeah like okay, sabbath's like yeah it's kind of evil and like that kind of raises the question like well what do we mean evil like is it it's only cool when it's like make believe like mm. that thing of like the band being kind of scary and kind of wrong and kind of evil like yeah are we going to pretend that that has no aesthetic power like of course it does i mean this is the thing that goes i think to an extent with hip-hop it's like you know why do we like the guys that talk about killing them like why do we romanticize it so much you know what i mean because we believe right. that it's re- we believe that it's real yeah of course to, to quote dave Chappelle, why are we why are we okay with da baby just murdering a guy <laughs> in walmart but we're not okay with him saying right. talking bad about people who have hiv you know i went from like one to the other so i was i was deep into the world of like punk and hardcore and i was involved in this like very idealistic collective in boston where a bunch of us were like having potlucks and talking about politics mm-hmm. and organizing mm-hmm. benefit concerts in- more lentils more lentils timmy uh- <laughs> It was that was the it was very lentil centric. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Did you did you go to Harvard University? Is that where you were? In I went to Harvard University. I was a, a DJ at the Harvard radio station WHRB, and but it was actually through that collective that I really started to meet non-Harvard people because it was like people from all over the city that were into like the kind of 
sort of nerdy, intense, hardcore and punk that we were into. And like that was incredibly idealistic, right? Like no major label bands and everyone's on the same page on anything. So to go from that to like getting back into hip hop and getting obsessed with hip hop, like it was wild. It, I, I wasn't listening to those rappers like, oh, these sound like very level headed people. And I'm glad they're I was like, <laughs> they're saying all sorts of shit that would get you get you kicked out of this like punk hardcore collective that like yes. those bands would never say they're using words I don't use. And so like I've always heard that in hip hop. I've always heard the like transgression in it or the like audacity in it. And it always weirds me out when, when there is an attempt to act like, to act like that's not there, right? To act like, yeah, Tupac mainly did songs about like how much he supported and appreciated black women. It's like, well, yeah, that was part of the mix. It's definitely part of the mix. <laughs> Keep keep your head up was a fine tune. That's right. But he but most of the most of it was Dear about Dear Mama. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, I mean, I I agree that to to act like something is not there when it's clearly there is what I, that's when I find it's there a person to be suspect in their in their values or their intentions the most. Sus. Sus. You call them sus. Yeah, you're you're being sus right now. Well, we've we've had some controversial <laughs> music talk on this show because Jason and I are both like we're not interested in Kendrick Lamar at all. Like, I think it's kind of corny and boring. What does that mean? Like, why do I think that? Like, I think it's deeply uncool. Despite the obvious. Despite the obvious talent. Obviously, the guy is brilliant. No, no, no. I mean, I meant despite how white Chris is. Sorry, continue. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, of course. Bitch, you don't like him either. Don't put this on me. That's for a, different that's a reasons. For a, different reasons, Chris. I have a lukewarm take, which is I don't love to pimp a butterfly that much. Yeah, I think Good Kid, Mad City is a lot like funnier and more fun. Mm-hmm. But I think like I mean, obviously, part of what you're hearing is earnestness, right? Like that he's gonna he's gonna enunciate and he's gonna draw mm-hmm. upon these older traditions and he's gonna engage in this earnest way with politics and with you know, with stuff that's happening in the black community. And yeah, that can seem a little, at the very least, even if you enjoy it, it can seem a little quaint Mm -hmm. compared to like Kodak Black or someone who's maybe a little more state of the art in terms of like what the genre sounds like now and the kind of state of the art. (laughs) Calling him state of the art and calling Kendrick Lamar quaint is right on par with how we feel. These are high level thoughts. But I think that, (laughs) but that's the, that's the thing. I think it's like you're saying though, it's like, I I think it's he's I think Kendrick Lamar is an important artist, especially for the black community. I but it, it it's like it doesn't make me want to listen to the music, right. you know what I mean? But I think and and that I think is totally fine. I think that's the world we live in to an extent. Yeah, Peta Peta does a very good job at getting people to not eat animals, but I still think they're dorky, Do they? so I still eat animals. Yeah, I mean. I don't know if they do. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they don't. That's a whole other kind. I don't know. Have we studied how effective their thing is in promoting? I don't know. I'm just. I'm just asking. Some, you know, some things, or you, you look at it and you're like, I see what you're doing, but just it's <laughs> not. You know, whatever it is, like you, you're doing an amazing job, but like there's little things of like I can't do it just because it's dorky, right? Or just because it's like in a style that I just don't agree with. So I'm just going to dismiss everything that you're doing altogether, which I guess is what makes you a snob. I, I only like, I started writing about music. I mean, as much as I love punk, the reason I started writing about music, like seriously was hip hop because it was the late nineties. And I felt like these records were incredible and they weren't getting covered with the kind of respect that I felt like they deserved. And even a lot of the people who were supposed to be like writing about hip hop didn't actually like this stuff. Like, they weren't into juvenile. I'm like, juvenile was selling like 
5 million copies of 400 degrees. And I was like, this is one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life. And the production is incredible and his flow. Like, this is great. And they're like, uh, they're like, De La Soul is as far as I'm going to go, brother man. Right. Especially then, right? When we're doing De La Soul is dead and De La Soul is kind of grumpy and kind of reactionary in a way about like what's happening in hip hop. So uh, there is part of me that's always rooting for like rap to be taken seriously just because I love it so much. And so there is part of me that's like, oh, great. People are studying Kendrick's lyrics like that's not wrong. But there's also part of me that's uh, studying it in school. But there's also part of me that feels like the reason hip hop has stayed awesome for so long is that most of it does not sound at all like homework. And so Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, you know, thank God there is still like all this stuff that is not being studied in school that feels like something else that feels a little a little bit, you know, kind of untamed and kind of, you know, a little harder to grapple with. Is it interesting for you because you've seen this transition happen completely from stuff like juvenile selling 5 million copies, but still being like relatively underground, you know what I mean? For like for like popular culture wise to now you know, hip hop and black culture being the predominant culture in America. Like, is that, is that a shift that you had? Did you, was it so gradual that you didn't notice or was there a day, was there a thing where you're like, shit, this is, this is different now? Well, I don't know. Like if you go back historically, like I'm not sure that there would be anything more shocking than the chronic, right? Like yeah, true. that record comes out in 92 and you're kind of, and like achieves such massive success that like, I, you know, I didn't even really sit down with it and spend time with it until a couple years later. And you're like, it is insane that this was in 92, like mm-hmm. the big mainstream popular music album. So that doesn't seem, yeah, so that, that doesn't seem strange to me. It makes a lot of sense to me. That said, as you were saying before, like, yes, in theory, like NPR pays like very serious respect to hip hop. And there's certainly people there that love hip hop. And it's part of that like cultural elite conversation. But mm-hmm. like NBA Youngboy is not sitting down with Terry Gross. Like there is still a sense in which like it's not quite. Unfortunately, the hip hop tiny desks aren't doing much for me, so I wish they would stop. If I, I would rather NBA Young Boys sit down with Terry Gross than watch Rick Ross do a Rick, Rick Ross do a full band uh, tiny desk <laughs> concert, but that's just that's just you know, me. Personally. I like some of those you know, tiny desks, me. and it, it's not crazy to imagine that, like as as that progresses, you get to see you know band gang Lonnie bands or someone on doing tiny desk, giving, giving them some stuff that maybe the viewers aren't ready for. I, um, I, yeah. The, the viewers aren't ready, but that, <laughs> but that is their responsibility to push the viewer. That's, that is what, pu- that's what public radio right. is for. You know, that is what public radio is for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess I forget about the chronic. I don't know. I don't really think about that. Just seems, it seems such a part of the fabric of America at this point in a lot of ways. Like where, where were you living when that came out? I was in Atlanta. I mean, I was okay. pretty young. I mean, 92, I was probably, I was probably in middle school. I mean, I, th- okay. that era, I'm 39. So that era of like Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, when it was really, you know, Snoop Dogg was on trial for murder and they rolled him out right. on, at the, at the VMAs and all that shit. Murder was the case. That was a big, don't, don't I mean, worry about was Chris. A, I was in, I was in Killer Cali when that album came out. I was I in middle school. I remember it distinctly. <laughs> it was too soft for you. You were banging MC8, DJ Quick. <laughs> yeah. He was his most wanted. Yeah. He doesn't fuck with that pussy shit. Quick has a lot of soft hits as well okay yeah i remember when it came out and i remember being at my friend's house like playing like a computer game or something like that and his older brother had the chronic burned on a cd and i remember being like oh shit like i'm not supposed to have this and i remember having like having the the fact that i was you know a young young bull in the game and i had this (laughs) and i was you know at the time in 92 i was probably listening to fucking metallica you know and like guns and roses and 
and Def Leppard or whatever, just like metal, Nine Inch Nails, shit like that. And then that came around, and I was like, oh shit, like there's no skips on this one. And now it's right. and it was so West Coast, and I was from I was from Southern California, so that was just the the soundtrack of everything for like years well like so like as a as a punk of course i was like skeptical of popularity and major labels and big hits Mm -hmm. and so hip-hop like but with hip-hop the popularity of it is kind of like the most radical thing about it like when you listen to like the content of some of those records i say in the book it's as if like death metal had somehow conquered the pop charts and like no one knew what to do about it and like Mm -hmm. cannibal corpse has the number one you know the number one hit in america and everyone's like uh what do we do now and so like (laughs) hip-hop one of the many things that hip-hop taught me was like to appreciate popularity and like how awesome and sneaky and radical and weird it was that a lot of these people were were like selling huge numbers and hugely popular so that's something i still feel now when you know when you see some of the some of the people that are making some of the most popular music in america and um, you know, they still it still feels subcultural in some kind of way, even though it's it's huge. So that's a special sauce that only hip hop seems to have right now. Like you said, there's no there's there's never been like an extreme metal band or song that like really had something just run up to be like a Baby Keem number or whatever. You know? Yeah, it's not that. Wait, do you like Baby Keem more than Kendrick Lamar? Kendrick Lamar on that Baby Keem song, that's been the only Kendrick song I've liked in a long time. I only like I like Do Rag Activity <laughs> a lot. That's the one. He likes the song too. <laughs> I think the Keem, yeah, I, I think the Keem, I think the Keem album is a little bit disappointing, to be honest, but I think he's cool right. and like something is going to happen there. But why are we wasting our breath talking about rap music? Anyone can do that. When we could be talking about Progressive House. <laughs> Progressive House. <laughs> yes, man. Yes, man. Progressive House. Let's get into it. All right, guys. You, you guys take care. I'm going to go to the bathroom. You guys go ahead. <laughs> it's the only progressive thing that we talk about on this show. And I was, I was saying. <laughs> I'll say, and it's funny when we were kind of analyzing the the word progressive house on the intro and, you know, making some comparisons to, you know, progressive politics or whatever. And at the time, I mean, like when you, when you hear the phrase progressive house now, you're like, what the fuck does that even mean? You know? Right. I guess at the time it was literally just like making house music more, you know, listenable or digestible to the, to the mainstream, pushing it into some out of the underground and being a little more epic and theatrical and things like that. Yes, but wasn't it also, wasn't it also being a little less uh, reliant on vocals, right? Wasn't it a less, Yeah, yeah, definitely. Wasn't it a less pop oriented than, you know, what was sometimes in the 1990s sneeringly called handbag house mm. <laughs> right and so the idea is like instead of doing this like chirpy pop music house we're gonna do something that's like epic and in that sense like sort of deep and then yeah. progressive house becomes one of these things like alternative rock or uh, where like the name is kind of misleading because at a certain point progressive house becomes like kind of replaces trance as like the most <laughs> mainstream form of dance music and that's where it's going to be like a club in midtown full of like dudes wearing nice collared shirts and it's a different vibe. it went from uh, from mud honey to nickelback in, exactly you know, right in the same amount yeah, of time exactly nice work mm. nice work jason thank you for bringing up a band i like actually <laughs> nickelback. Uh, mud honey not, oh. not well nickelback. yeah when yeah, but no i guess I, I wasn't around for the very <laughs> beginning of progressive house more so when it started becoming a little more of the you know, Swedish house mafia, right? You know that type of like replacing trance as like the cheesiest genre. Right. But the problem—I mean, not the problem—but the beauty of of that type of music is it's so cheesy, over the top. But it has some of that bubblegum. Like you just can't deny it. It's just like a—it's just a song that you just love, even though you think it's so bad. 
and that I'm, and I'm really fascinated by music like that. Well, yeah, there's something that, that happens in dance music, right? Because it happens in disco, where all this stuff mm-hmm. kind of like comes together, and then there's this incredible backlash. And by the time you get in the 2010s, what people are calling electronic dance music or EDM, and you're getting these kids in like dayglow fishnets at the you know amusement park rave or whatever at the, at the hard festival just to give you just to give you quickly just to give you a little background jason is an edm dj uh who's rubbed elbow yep. who's rubbed elbows with a lot of the top talent in the genre um so just tread care just tread carefully here that's all i'm a careful treader man that's part of my whole thing <laughs> i sense that about you i feel comfortable in your arm <laughs> so like by the time like there's this backlash against edm like a lot of the people who are maddest about edm are like the disco heads and the house music heads mm-hmm. and like the real techno yeah. heads like and all that stuff comes out of disco which was as hated back then as like edm was in the last few years so there is something about that about dance music or a sort of like suspicion of anything that seems to be like giving people what they want too much or like people are having fun or like this is just too silly and you know, I, I write in the book about how to an outsider, um, probably um, many of the people listening to us talk right now, like just hearing these terms is enough to make them roll their eyes. They're like, wait, now I got to learn the difference between house and techno and like progressive house and deep house. It's all like, Chinese to me. That's what Chris says about all these yeah, genres of music. <laughs> like my theory is that part of the reason that happens is because this is party music, right? This is music that lives and dies at parties. And Mm -hmm. the thing that happens is this connection where small changes in the kind of music you play, as you probably know, as a DJ, Mm -hmm. are going to affect who shows up at the party. (laughs) So like, it's important, like, it sounds ridiculous if we're talking about like progressive house versus deep house. But like, if I was talking about that in 2000s New York, that would be the difference between like going to Midtown and it's a bunch of like rich dudes getting bottle service mm-hmm. and going to some club in Brooklyn and it's a largely maybe black and gay crowd yeah. and the vibe is totally different. And if, if you played that music for my mom or Chris's mom, they would be like, yeah, it's, this is all techno. Yes. This is all just uns, uns music. Right. But if you brought them to those parties, even someone who didn't know about the music would be like, whoa, this is a totally different vibe. If you brought them Mm. to see a so-called micro house DJ, like playing some tiny thing and it's a bunch of like nerds in T-shirts, like staring at the DJ booth, they'd be like, oh, this is a totally (laughs) different vibe from those. Getting the chubby when the hi-hat finally comes in on minute 17. Yeah, it's different clothes. It's different drugs. It's the whole thing. So yeah, yeah. um, So that's why those terms end up mattering is because they're like they're musical terms, but they're kind of also social terms. And there are ways to talk about like who shows up to the party. And that's why I also agree that I, I love genres and I think they can be important because the way I like to listen to music is prescribing a certain genre of music for a certain activity or task or feeling mm-hmm. versus just like, let's just put something on. Like I do listen to rap music when I want to do a certain thing, when I want to feel a certain way. And I do listen to house music or metal when I feel a certain way. Right, and that's and uh, that could be a reason why Chris and I maybe look away from you know the Kendricks or something like that because when we listen to rap music, it's in like a let's have fun and turn up and party and celebrate. You know, like that's the, if I'm do- doing henny shots or tequila shots and sure. you know doing some drugs in the club and I want to see some some booties bouncing. I want to listen to some fun turn up rap music, not you know. Is that going to be the atmosphere at Bowery Ballroom? Similar, similar. It's going to be a, a bunch of very white dudes. 
um, who know a lot more about rap music than we do, unfortunately. <laughs> I didn't know you were planning to check races at the door, but that's good information for anyone who was planning to come out. We, we, it's, it's, it's ID, Vax card, race <laughs> card. Right. Those are the three cards that we require. You have to actually play your race card to get in. Makes yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, 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 very, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like Sook the Shocker handing in my race card that's, on that album right. cover. It's a classic. The game is to be told, not to be sold. No, it's the other one. Yeah, right? Amen, <laughs> my man. Amen. But he's, uh, but like, that's the fun. It's funny. You talk to people and there's like a pride that some listeners take now in like i'm not limited by genre i like to listen to all sorts of stuff Mm -hmm. but the reason you have those sorts of stuffs are because some other people did care about genre that's the reason you're able to go Mm. from like death metal to slow jams to country music is because like someone built those words worlds and it kind of needs somebody like you or me or chris who's been around for enough time to see the the generational cyclical movements like when you're like, oh, I listen to this music, you know, and then you got an old head being like, oh, back you know when disco first came out, it was the cheesiest shit in the world, and now I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because that's now the coolest, you know, left field house disco where records are ten thousand dollars on vinyl and the, the best coolest DJs in the world are only playing that now. And I think you capture something crucial when you say that the three of us are very important to this process. You're absolutely right about that. <laughs> That's right. Your book is in stores now, wherever books are available. Without us, who knows what would be happening? Yeah, exactly. This world would be in shambles. You, you, you have the ignorance as bliss when you're in your young 20s and you're just like, I like this music. That music's fucking shitty. This music is the best that I listen to. And then when you get old enough to really pull back and just see the way that all, you know, it happens with fashion, it happens with music, it happens with so many things of just like, but, this would but, be... But part of it is being open-minded enough to realize the value of closed-mindedness, right? To realize that, like, mm. that's a really powerful way to make music or to listen to music is to, like, be deep in that zone. And, like, thank God there still are people who are deep in that zone. And, like, you kind of need that. You need that sort of intensity, that intense focus to create the sense of community, which is the thing that makes many of us care about music enough to like get into it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. You still need people to go dig deep down into the earth's core to find that, (laughs) that, you know, that purity versus just like, let's just have it sound like everything. Like it's just, I'm I'm into every genre and I love it all. And, you know, you lose some of that laser focus where you know magic is made but even when that happens and you're like in a genre like pop which is like as i write in the book is like maybe not even a genre at all because it's like anyone can do whatever but even there okay you don't have gatekeepers to be like this is real pop and this is fake pop no there's there are i know a lot of gay men who would be pop music gatekeepers (laughs) have you heard of john carmonica i think he i think uh, he does that actually i believe we went we we went to the same (laughs) college in cambridge actually Oh, I, I know, I know. We've had a few. We've had a few, uh, you know, former Harvard students mm-hmm. on this podcast. Shockingly, he was running the hip hop department of the radio station while I was running the punk rock. This sounds like a '90s sitcom idea. Yeah, that's right. It's no one's. No one's bought it yet. We've re- we've written three spec pilots. And <laughs> very very unpopular. It happens every day. We haven't we haven't touched on you know my favorite music. We let Jason talk about his little EDM shit, but well, let's touch. Let's touch. We need to talk about. You know, jangly guitars. We need to talk about the lemon heads. We need to talk about gin blossoms. You know, real music, music with guitars. First lemon heads record is, comes out through WHRB. In fact, it all roads lead Boston, back. baby. You know, I know, but I, you know, people give me a lot of shit. You know, for liking this this washed music, as they say. They but, do. Why? 
Because they're young? Because it used to be cool? Because they're young. No, because I think that grunge, like, to me, Nirvana, like, is kind of corny. I would never listen to that. I Again, similar to Kendrick Lamar, it was really important. But even when it was out and I was the right age, I was like, yeah, this is good. But I'm not listening to Nirvana. Right. Whereas, to me, the Lemonheads or even the bands that inspired Nirvana, you know what I mean, are more listenable than they are to me at this age right and i i don't know why i'm not anti-popular music i i i love olivia rodrigo you know what i mean but mm. i can't figure out why that is because those songs are good i just have no interest in listening to them but wait wait bring this back to Lemonheads and gin blossoms what are we uh you're saying I'm like saying, that's your well shit. i'm saying that's my shit but i think those bands i think part of the reason we talk about those bands is because grunge existed at all right like i don't think they would have had i don't think they would have had careers those are progressive grunge bands as what chris is saying in some ways i feel like at this point those bands are no longer popular enough for people to give you shit about like it would be one thing if we're living in the 90s and like the labels are throwing money at any band that sounds alternative and people are like oh, i gotta get away from this like alternative onslaught but like are people really mad at you for being into the Lemonheads in 2021? That seems like a quirky, personal, private passion. No, I go up to some kid in 2021 and be like, I really like the Lemonheads. They'll be like, who? Right. My favorite example of this is, or not favorite, but one of my favorite examples is Teenage Fan Club. Because mm -hmm. I fucking love Teenage Fan Club. I think they're like really underappreciated. But it's like one of Kurt Cobain's favorite bands, right? Right. So it's like... I, I think there is an element of, of, of like back then, that's the only way you would, the only way that, that their teenage fan club is having any sort of career probably outside of like cool guy, like British world mm -hmm. is Kurt Cobain wearing the shirt and people sure. just trying to figure out what it is. And I think yeah. we're, we're just so inundated with options that that kind of discovery has been replaced by machines. So it's like, you know, how do we, it's, it's very difficult to be that kind of band and and kind of have a career in 2021. But there's also a cred question, right? Like you used to get cred yeah. for like maybe in certain circles for being into some shit that no one else was up on. And I feel like that's over, right? If that happens at all now, I think maybe some of that impulse has moved to politics, right? Maybe in certain circles you get cred for being into this, you know, far out or unpopular or avant-garde political cause. But like, no one's going to be that impressed if you're like, "Yo, I like this band you've never no, heard." That's of. true like, be because because anyone can like if I'm wearing like a rare Autechre T-shirt and walking around Brooklyn, <laughs> you know, I'm going to have 20 guys be like sick, and then 20 guys googling it instantly downloading their record listening on spotify getting right. the vinyl on blah 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 sure and they all know exactly about it within five minutes where which is before you'd have to see a teenage fan club t-shirt on a photo of kurt cobain in the back page of this magazine you go to a record store you find your album it, it, the process takes months because a lot of these rituals that we used to create musical communities were rituals of scarcity right like you have to go to the record store you have to like read the magazines you have to talk to people to find out like what's good and what's not good and so the question is what rituals evolve in the age of musical abundance and like do we still form musical communities i think as long as we as long as we care about music and use it to define ourselves in some way and, you know, we're always going to form oh, these yeah. communities because that's what people do. And so when, when the walls come down one place, they maybe go up somewhere else, right? If you're, you yeah. know, you might, you might be someone who like listens to everything, but like, do you listen to Morgan Wallen, the country singer who was caught using the N-word on tape? Yo, yo, like yo, 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 <laughs> yo, chill, chill. Those are great songs. The, that, no, I'm just kidding. Great record. I, I, great record. Dangerous is really good. It's funny though, because that's one of those things and the New York Times loves doing this. And, and you know, it, it's like. 
something like that will get absolutely drooled over critically. And then I'll go listen to it. And I'll be like, yeah, this is okay. You know what I mean? But, but every once in a while, like what's the, what's the one that they're talking about all the time now, Jason, pretty pantherous, pink pantherous, pink, 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 pink pantherous. That is something I've read about incessantly. Mm-hmm. And then I go listen to it. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I'll never need to listen to this again. Cause you're too old and white <laughs> and close minded. Uh, you, you like it, bitch. And you're old too. I'm open-minded. Oh, I see. That's the difference. Well, we're all close-minded about something. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. But I, I, I just, I think that the press, the press chooses these things, and then I think that, like the, the Morgan Wallen's a great example of like the downfall was only that big because he'd been gushed over critically in a way that he, he. If if the guy who wrote Dick Down in Dallas had a racial scandal, it wouldn't <laughs> cause as much. But well, it's two things. Like exactly. But one like. As, as a fan of both of them, Pink Pantherist and Morgan Wallen, like with Morgan Wallen, like people in the media, including me, were behind the audience. Like Morgan Wallen was huge and like that was part of what was inspiring the coverage was like, whoa, this thing is happening. Morgan Wallen is still – that record stayed at number one for 10 weeks even like we after talked about this. We talked about this a lot on the podcast specifically that like – Labels. He's an NBA young boy of country. Yeah, the labels yeah, distance He's... himself from these artists. Organic while, groundswell, while still owning the catalog and making a fortune off his record being number one for ten weeks. It's like, of course, and the, and the audience never abandoned him. And so I think, Pink, no, they don't care. Pink Pantheress is more an example of a thing that's like cool and critically acclaimed and the numbers aren't crazy at least not yet and but like the thing is we always want there to be something like that right we don't want critics to just be writing about whatever's popular because we can look at whatever's popular without their help sure so it's a little bit circular of like why are critics always writing about this critically acclaimed stuff it's like well yeah there's always going to be something that's celebrated and the question is to me is more like well what are people paying attention to and what are they what are they ignoring because we're always going to be ignoring something, and we're always going to be paying attention to, you know, this like Pink with Pink Panthers. She's so big because the music is good and many people like it. But also, you know, she's like a young kid who's still in school and recording this music in her bedroom in between studying for class and like right. now you got a story. Right. Yes, and the timing is right. And I think it's. I think her whole thing is very interesting. I think the story is interesting. And when Jason explained to me what it is, I was like, oh, I get. I understand why that is is popular. And it's revenue. You know it's like I mean? it's a it's a modern take on music that you didn't like to begin with in the first place. So yeah. It's not you're yeah. not like oh she's doing an injustice to the early drum and bass stuff like you didn't like it back then either. <laughs> the return of jungleism, but it's also like that word, <laughs> the word that you use, Chris. Interesting. <laughs> That's also how a lot of people who write about music get themselves in trouble. When, when I was at the Times, I had like a rule that I was writing. I would only write about music that was popular, good, or interesting. And to me, like interesting was the least important of those categories because I feel like there is too much coverage always of music that is allegedly interesting, even though it's not popular and the person writing about it doesn't actually think it's good. I think I think what I mean by interesting more more is the the person making it is interesting, not the music itself. You you know what I mean? I think I think someone can be very compelling as a person or a personality and, and the music be mid. I think that's like. And I still would want to read about that, maybe. Would you? I'm always like, look, if this isn't awesome and it's not really popular, I'm not sure I care. Like, make the argument that it's great. Show me that it's resonating. Otherwise, like... It's- so well, what's an example of, like, an interesting artist that you would not write about? Well, you hear these stories a lot of, like, where someone has a story, right? And it's like, they're a bunch of refugees and they, you know... Right, right, They right, formed right. a reggae band and, like, you're like, okay... 
that's great, but like, are they drawing a crowd? Right, right, right. What's that? Ba- okay, what's that what thing mean. that was popping? Salt, S A U L T. S A U L T. Yes, trying to recreate scarcity for the digital age. It's fake music. It's like fake music. It's it's like AI. But everybody's like, you haven't heard that? It's a fucking amazing. I'm like, guys, this is not real. Like, it's, see, I it's feel like, like a, I'm getting soft, man. Like, I industry like all this plant. Stuff. Industry plant. Salt is an you industry plant. You say it like plant. it's a bad thing. What's wrong with industry plants? No, I mean, I like, like I said, I like Olivia Rodrigo. She's definitely an industry plant. Right. I, I just don't think, I, I just, it felt like it was almost like some weird Christian music that was being forced upon us by the media. Well, now, now you said weird Christian, so now you've got my heart, man. That's like, yeah, we're getting we're getting into some weird Christian stuff. Let's go, man. <laughs> That's your number one preferred genre is weird Christian music. It's one of many genres I enjoy the uh, the Christian hardcore or post hardcore band Me Without You from Philadelphia. Some incredible. Bro, no, ones. we are not talking about Me Without You on this <laughs> podcast. They went they went in. I've unfortunately seen them play many times. Um, yes, but they are a popular act. Are they still together? Yeah, they're still they're doing like a uh, uh, an anniversary tour, I believe, next year. Of course, all these motherfuckers are cashing in. But like, I love that. Like, that's another good example of like you know these like subcultures or these different worlds and like how, how do things look like within that zone of of Christian Christian rock, which you could define as broadly as you want, right? Like, you could define that to include like Mumford and Imagine Dragons if you want. Like, why would you? Why? How would you? Because they are actually religious as people, or because it's just inoffensive music with no cuss words? No, because they have like links to Christian tradition, or the singer is religious, mm. or there's there's like church links there. So, yeah, it's a depending on how you define it. Like, I wondered why I wondered why I hated Mumford and Sons, but now I know. I thank you, thank you for it's helping. Anti-Christian animus. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm. But I, I didn't. I think that because because I managed like a, a an, I guess a pop punk band in the mid two thousands. Which band? Called they're called Cartel. Cartel. That's right. You did that. You did that thing where they played one of the peers like in a box or something. Yeah, yeah. We don't love to talk about that. It's called Band in a Bubble. But anyway, band my in point a bubble. Being, that's what it was. I'm sorry. Did I break a, a <laughs> podcast taboo? No, no, no. But I, I guess that world specifically, there was a lot of weird Christian crossover. Yeah. But it was, it was yes. all a little bit quiet and like yes. But we would hang out with these bands and we were like partying and doing drugs and being cool and we'd be with these bands that are like. Yeah, we don't really. They're all married at twenty five. They don't yes. really drink. And I'm like, why are you in a band, bro? What the fuck? What is the point? They're, they're of working this? on their knitting in the green room. Yeah, Isn't that yeah. The way bands? you'd want it if you were writing your like punk rock novel, wouldn't you want like, yes the two thousands version of it to be like secretly Christian and everyone's trying to figure it out? But that that genre particularly, I think, had that kind of undercurrent with a lot of bands that they were also secretly having uh, intercourse with underage women in that time frame and that musical genre. Yes, that was also. Popular like, like 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 many people and many musicians they might not have been living up to the ideals uh, <laughs> that they were espousing but i remember yes, like nice i remember to going it. to the warp tour at, at, on randall's island one summer in the 2000s and there was like a, a, a member of the marines or some military member who had like a chin-up bar mm-hmm. and kids were lining up to show this dude like and he his whole thing was like how many pull-ups can you mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. and i was i remember looking at it and being like this might be the most punk rock thing I've seen all day. Like this is so <laughs> profoundly a violation of like the punk rock norms that I came of age mm-hmm. with that in yeah. some way it might be upholding. Yeah. Them. To have the Marine Corps activation table set up at the punk <laughs> yes. rock show. That's 
yeah. an asinine thought. I was like, you've done it. You've shocked me. If you can do 20 pull-ups, we'll sign you up for the Marines yeah. right now. No problem. <laughs> right. you, can, you can enlist right here. But, but yeah, like, I mean, stop, just stopping what you're doing to knock 20 out in front of a crowd of people to sh- just exert your brute aggression. That's right. It, it could arguably one of the, be more one of the more punk rock acts that you could accomplish. Yeah, certainly. Like, I'm like, well, you guys have definitely made this genre your own. Like, <laughs> I can't claim that you're like slavishly imitating late 70s London. <laughs> <laughs> it's out of my hands now <laughs> that's really that's really funny uh oh man look thank you for joining us great podcast uh i learned i learned a lot today and usually we're smarter than our guests so this was a blessing for us <laughs> thanks and and uh the book uh major labels a history of popular music in seven seven genres is out everywhere now correct it, it is out absolutely everywhere you want to and where, where can people find you on uh on social media if they want to follow your ass they can't find me on social media i'm not on social media but you can oh man you can read my book and maybe try to figure out why that is did your wife tell you to get off of this or is this a personal decision <laughs> no this is a personal de- you know i already had the uh i was lucky enough to already if i felt like i've already have like the writing jobs that i want like there yeah there's there's already an illustrated photo of you on the new yorker yeah and like you know they, what that's 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 shit that's better than a blue check you're good you're good they're nice enough to pay me to write articles like i don't want to do anything to jeopardize that or distract me from that. So Don't give away yeah. the sauce for free. I get it. <laughs> I respect it. Uh, but, oh, no, thank you for joining us. This was a blast. You guys go cop the book. Uh, and, and obviously you can find all of his past work on um, many elite publications. That's right. Met. <laughs> the media uh, elite. <laughs> just, not twi- just not the only website that matters, twitter.com. Uh, Never heard of Khalifa, th- yeah, thank you for joining us, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, man. It was an honor. Later, bro. Thank Later. you. Later. Later.